Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. If you've ever watched a Hallmark Christmas movie or a Great American Family Christmas movie, you've inevitably heard them say, Christmas is a time for giving. Anyone? That's just what they say. And well, they're right. But it's not in the way that you would think because the gifts that we talk at Christmas are not gifts that you can buy like Taylor on Amazon on a sleepless night or on Black Friday, you know, in a busy store. But they're gifts nonetheless. It's still about giving because it's about the God of the universe giving his son, right? He was born as a human for a purpose. And that purpose was for him to be a sacrifice for our sin. God has given us the ultimate gift in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The day Jesus was born was the most pivotal day in the history of the world. And it was so pivotal or so important that we actually base time on it. Have you thought about that? Even pagans and agnostics adhere to this time principle. We have BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, which translated from Latin means in the year of our Lord. We literally base time on the fact when Jesus came to this earth. Talk about a significant day. Every time I think about that, it almost gives me the chills. And it's like, that, I mean, that is what life is about. The fact that Jesus came and he died for our sins. So in case you're late to the party, Jesus, God's son, was born of a virgin named Mary, right? He is and was the savior of the world, the king of kings. And because there was a kingdom-wide census, so there's just a mile-high view before we get to the meat of this, just so you have the background, right? So a kingdom-wide census and a very pregnant Mary and her betrothed Joseph make the trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it's not an easy journey. 80 miles, think about it, without power seating, without air conditioning, on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, miserable. I mean, it's difficult in a car. Can you imagine? Through hills, through mountainous areas, you know, in the desert, talk about uncomfortable. And then they get to Bethlehem. There's no room for them at in any inn. And so they have to stay where the animals live. There was no gilded, gilded crib. There wasn't a royal physician on hand to deliver him. There was no royal edict proclaiming that the king of kings was just born. He was born as a humble servant. Jesus, the Messiah, came as a humble servant. And yet God revealed the message of his coming in a glorious way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at our key scripture for today. They're going to be up on the screens for you. It's a little bit of a longer one. It's in Luke 2. Here we go. 8 to 20. You guys ready for this? Okay. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I don't know about you, but that is, that is a little terrifying. <laughs> but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay. Let's keep moving on. The next segment. Verse 12, it says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, I love that, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Okay, in our last segment of this. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So let me tell you, this isn't your average Christmas message. We're going to take a look at the story from a different perspective. This morning, we're going to discover what gifts the shepherd gave to Jesus, their king. If you know me, I'm a dairy girl, and so I have a soft spot for People in agriculture, I kind of like it. Shepherds, my dad was a dairyman. I just, I kind of like looking at this from a different perspective. So often when we're talking about the nativity, we think about the wise men being the givers, right? They gave the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. I think they kind of get all the credit here. But the shepherds gave too. They gave as they could give. And their gifts were significant nonetheless. The gifts we give as Christians that are fit for the king are not necessarily, they're not physical gifts, right? With monetary value. And although those are fine, but the gifts that we give at Christmas are what we can do with what we have. And that's what God wants from us. So we're about to glean from a band of rough and tumble shepherds. These guys were not like your dignified church best kind of people, but we all have something to offer the king. So in those, so in those days, it's not the same time as when David was a kid. You know, he was a shepherd, right? We learned about David. And a lot of times it was families that would raise the sheep and the animals. But in this point, we're talking about that they were shepherds. This was their job. So it's not the, you know, like a beautiful, handsome, I'm like always manicured man. These are like workers. They're rough and ready. They're, they're, you know, I mean, they're, they're blue collar guys. So they weren't known for their strength of character back in this day. And their testimonies would not even hold up in a court of law because a lot of times they were known as thieves or liars, which is kind of interesting. They were also transient, which means that they didn't live in one place. They would travel with their flocks. Um, that was just a part of their occupation. So we have these rough, gruff, manly men receiving some of the greatest news ever in the history of the world, and God chose to reveal himself to them. But when they heard the news, this is what's important. They didn't lollygag. They didn't say, hey, I'm not worthy. We're not worthy to meet the king. Um, they didn't go and change their clothes. They didn't, it was in the nighttime. They didn't say, hey, let's wait till morning. They left their sheep and they went to him. Today, in your notes, I'd like to suggest to you that a gift that you can give to the king is number one, start where you are. Can you pull that up for me? Number one, start where you are. If you think about it, that's gold. The shepherds didn't have to get ceremoniously clean first. They didn't adhere to all the social norms of what they had to do to go meet the Messiah. They went straight to where Jesus was. That is important. There was a sense of urgency and they went as they were. Look how God used their story. Yeah, they weren't intellectuals. They weren't wealthy. They weren't well-known, but they were available. And when the angels told them to go to the king, they went. They didn't wait. 
God isn't looking for you to be the perfect Christian. He's not looking for for you to have the perfect set of circumstances to say, oh, then I'll serve him or then I'll praise him. He's saying he wants you. The author in your notes, it says, or I'm sorry, the author, yes, it's in your notes. He said, the author, I just totally messed that up. Can we start that over again? The author, the author, that's like a, a, a tongue twister. The author, Alan Cohen said, do not wait until the conditions are perfect to begin. Oh, shucks. I'd have the perfect conditions for that to begin. Okay. Beginning makes the conditions perfect. Just start. You don't have to wait. So many people are waiting on God when God is saying, go, do what I've told you to do. Start where you are. I tend to be a perfectionist, obviously. Yeah, and sometimes I wait because I can't say it right or I can't do it right, but God's saying, do it anyways, right? The more you serve him and the more you get to know him, the more you'll change to be like him. So you can start where you are, but you won't finish where you are. Maybe you're discouraged because you're not as far along as you thought you'd be. It's like, man, I just, I don't know if I could ever start. Start where you are. Maybe you want to start a nonprofit someday, or maybe you, you want an upfront ministry, but are you faithfully serving when no one is watching? Start where you are. Serve the Lord with gladness in all seasons and at all times. Start where you are, even when it's not ideal, because in your notes it says, the person who is too big to do little things is too little to do the big things. Yeah, that gets me. Let me say it again. The person who is too big to do little things is too little to do big things. If you're not willing to do the small stuff, God can't trust you with the big stuff. What about if you don't think you have much to offer? Big doors swing on small hinges. We can almost stop with that. Big doors swing on small hinges, my friends. Start where you are and see what God does through you. In your notes, we have a little story here. We're going to kind of show how this, how this plays out here. Take the disciples, Simon Peter and his brother, Andrew, as well as James and John. These guys were fishermen. Jesus was, it says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you fish for men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, Jesus saw two other brothers. They were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were sitting in a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus called them. At once they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. These guys weren't theologians, right? They weren't pastors. They were blue collar guys doing what they did. They were out by their boats and Jesus took them from being fishermen to working on the water every day, right? To being fishers of men. They started where they were and God took those men from being fishermen, just workers, to being the very feet of the gospel. But they started where they were. Eventually, Peter became the rock that the church was built on. I love it. He went from working in the water day in and day out to walking on the water. But he started where he was. He went after Jesus. John went on and he wrote the gospel of John, first, second, third John, and Revelation. This guy went from a fisherman, you all, to writing Books in the Bible talk about significant, but he started where he were. He went on this journey with Jesus and look at where God took him. Look at the impact that they made. 
Stop being discouraged if you're not where you want to be. Start moving forward. If the disciples had never started on that journey with Jesus, they never would have made the global impact that they did. Start where you are. So the shepherds in the gospel story, they weren't worried about not being worthy to meet their king. They just came. And Jesus is beckoning us to do the same. He's saying, come and take the journey with me. But if there's a journey, you've got to start somewhere. So we're going to start where they are. We'll start where we are. Start where I am. Now in both the story of the shepherds and the fishermen, it says that they hurried. They went at once. Don't wait around wishing, hoping, and complaining. You've just got to go. If God prompts you to do something, start where you are, which brings us to point number two. You ready for this? Use what you have. Can you say that? Use what you have. What did the shepherds have? They had their voices and they had their feet. You got to go with me here, okay? In Luke 2, they hurried to where Jesus was. And after they saw him, what did they do? They spread the word to others. I don't even think I really truly thought about that until I was studying the story. It's like, no, no, no. They went and spread the word. They didn't just experience his glory and see Jesus but they went and they did something. They used what they had. And I love how God chose that band of smelly, stinky, rough shepherds to be the forerunners of his glory to say, hey, something significant happens. The the Emmanuel, God with us came to earth and they weren't the elite, right? They weren't overly special. They were just ordinary. But when they heard the news about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, they gave what they had in their own special way. So sure, they didn't give expensive gifts like the wise men, right? They didn't give the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, but they gave what they had by spreading the news about Jesus. There was an Old Testament judge named Shamgar in the Bible. Anyone ever heard of Shamgar? Anyone? Shamgar? Okay. Someone that's not like super well-known, not like David, not like Moses, not like... Who else? Noah, that everyone talks about. But this guy had a cool story, but it's a very short story. And it's so short. Look at it. It's in your notes. Judges 3.31. It says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Holy cow. Okay, so let's dive into this. It says, what's an ox goad? So he used an ox goad. Anyone know what that is? Yeah, kind of like a cattle prod. Back then, they would plow their fields. Exactly, I know. They'd plow their fields with oxen. And oxen are kind of stubborn. And so they had this. It's not a military weapon. It was simply put a farm tool. It's an instrument about eight feet long that was armed with a sharp point for just, you know, prodding on those oxen. And on the other end, there was a spade that they could clean out their plow with. So it's a bonafide farm tool. So God used one man with one simple weapon to slay 600, 600, do you have that? 600 people. He didn't have this fancy, whatever, this fancy sword. He didn't have the spears. He didn't have a javelin. He didn't have a whole army with him. He used what he had. He lived in a farming community. What did he have? He had access to Pretty much what, what is it like to, to cattle prod? And he slew 600 people. So God took what he had 
and he multiplied it, and he made the miraculous happen. So I got to say, that guy's impressive, right? Can you imagine? And that guy's only one, that's one little Bible verse, one teeny little thing that we get this little, um, it just gives us a little, hmm, okay. If God could use a farm tool, what could he use? What, what could I use through him? What could he do through me? Remember Taylor talked about, like, I have a stick, that series about, or that, that message about Moses. He had a staff in his hand. He was like, oh, I can't do it. And God said, what's in your hand, Moses? And he had a staff. And God used that staff for so many miracles, saying, what's in your hand? What do you have? Use what you have. So often we make excuses. We get hung up on what we don't have. I don't know if you're like me. I'm like, well, I don't have this. We can be like, well, I, I'm just married to the wrong person. Or I just, if only I lived somewhere else, or if only I had a better job, or if only I had more money, or if only I was more talented. But God's saying, what do you have? He's not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you do have. In your notes, it says, don't let the things you don't have prevent you from using what you do have. If you have a car, use it for God's glory. We're talking even physical things. Make it a place where you glorify him, where you encounter him. Do you have a house? Invite people over, right? You can invite a family over and glorify God that way. It could be anything. It could be anything. It could be, are you blessed financially? I've seen Christy pay for people's meals so many times. Use what you have. Because remember, anything that we have is because God gave it to us. We're simply offering it back to him. It's all for his glory. In other words, be a blessing. I want to challenge you. Be a blessing. Use what you have to be a blessing. What about, it, what about your gifts? If you have a talent to sing, join the choir. Right? Glorify God through that. Do you have a heart for kids? We could totally always use more kids workers. Do you know? Do you have a smile? Hey, I could join. I could be a, a I could be a greeter. Use what you have. It doesn't even not even necessarily at church. Use what you have to glorify God in the line at the post office. Hey, maybe I'm good with words. Hey, I really like your shoes. That makes someone's day. Use what you have wherever you are, whatever you do be a blessing because 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you, it's in your notes on the back, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We all have something to offer. Young, old, single, married, poor, rich. What do you have? Offer what you have. Give your gift to the King this Christmas and always, but you give what you have. Number three, go with enthusiasm. Go with enthusiasm. So remember in Luke 2, it said that the shepherds hurried, right? They weren't just, no, oh, whenever they got there, they hurried to go find Jesus. And after they'd seen him, what did they do? They went and spread the message of him coming. And then they returned back to where Jesus was at and worshiped and praised and glorified him. So guys, they were fueled with enthusiasm and probably some wonder, right? I mean, think about the story. But, but what did they do? They 
left their sheep in the nighttime. They're supposed to be watching their sheep. They left them, went and traveled to, to see who knows who. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know his family. So they're going for complete strangers. And then they go and spread the message and they return. They were enthusiastic. They had passion. They had zeal. And most likely their lives were never the same because they received pretty much the most pivotal news in all of history. So think about it. The natural response was that they had to tell others. They had to. It just oozed out of them. They were enthusiastic. They're not like, yeah, Jesus came. The Savior of the world came. No. We saw angels, and there's this baby, and he's going to save us from our sins. He is the king of all kings. Do you, th I mean, don't you think they were enthusiastic? They had to be. Come on, you better show me some enthusiasm here. Okay, just don't look at me like this is a key. Go with enthusiasm. I can't be the only enthusiastic person in the room. I mean, I can. I'm totally capable of that. But give me some enthusiasm here. Has God been good to you? Yeah. yeah. Has he delivered you from things? Yes. Has he been faithful? Has he ever healed you? Yes, then you should be enthusiastic, you all. So many people, okay, I'm getting passionate, but so many people walk around, so many Christians, and we're sour, and we're rude, and we're just like the world. And it's like, hey, how are you doing? And they're complaining. You all, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our provider. He's faithful. He's good. He's our father. He's our friend. Come on, you better show some enthusiasm here. Okay, the people in the world, they need to see your enthusiasm because why would they want to be a Christian if it stinks being a Christian? It doesn't, but your attitude should reflect that enthusiasm. Okay, I'll get off my little thing here. Whew, all right, in Romans 12, 11, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That whatever you do, do it with enthusiasm. We don't hear spiritual fervor very often, but, but that's the idea of something bubbling or boiling over. I like making chicken and dumplings, and it's one of my favorite things. It's a lot of work, but it's so worth it. Do you have any of those recipes? But every stinking time, and I mean every time, when I make them, for some reason, every time I make them, they boil over when those dumplings get big and it just, and it's like the kids are like, mom, there's, it's like an explosion of boiling water. And I try like doing less liquid, but every single time I can't master it. Every single time I make those chicken and dumplings, I know it's going to boil over. How about if every time that you get up in the morning or that you serve the Lord, that people know you're gonna boil over with enthusiasm? That is just a given. I know my chicken and dumplings are gonna boil over and make a mess and I'm okay with that. But what if when you get out and you go into the world or you're serving at work or here at the church that you're like, I'm excited because God is good. That reminds me of my favorite scripture in your notes. It says Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, can you say that? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Hey, that's a good reminder. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. We tell our kids that scripture all the time. I literally quote it every single week because sometimes I have to remind myself of that. When I'm scrubbing the toilets at a job, the kids and I clean a place two times a week. And do you think I love cleaning toilets? 
No, I'm like, I clean 11 toilets every week. Taylor, it's not even toilets at her own house, but it's a joy because we're serving the Lord and I'm enthusiastic while I'm doing it. Um, a lot of you know we own a commercial and residential cleaning company. And Taylor, um, since I stopped teaching, he has the kids and I, we get to help him on commercial jobs for carpet cleaning. And it's fun actually, even though I don't really enjoy cleaning, but it's fun because you get out of the house and it's instant gratification when you clean. And then um, it's fun because oftentimes there's people at the places we go to and I get to talk to them because I'm social. So I get my social fix. So a few weeks back, we're at a job in Shawnee and we'd been cleaning for a couple hours. And you know, Shawnee's not a quick drive, you guys know. So it's about 45 minutes there and we're cleaning and Taylor gets a call from his biggest client. It's not unusual. Well, then they say, hey, we need you to come clean. Okay, not unusual, but they said in Kansas, a little less unusual at one of their Kansas locations. But not only that, they said, we need you to clean it today. And we're in Shawnee and he's like, well, we pivoted. So. Lynette, my mother-in-law, is like, hey, I can watch the kids. And okay, so we kind of rearranged some things. And we go home to Norman. We had to do another job first. We had to go clean the floors at another place. Go home, pack up the kids, pack up the dog, pack up ourselves, because we're going to have to spend the night driving to Kansas. This isn't a quick drive. And so we get everything all situated, drop off the kids, drop off the dog, run to Kansas. And we didn't actually run, but you know, we drove there and it was a few hour drive. So we get there and you know what? It had been a long day. There was a lot of work and driving is kind of exhausting too. But you know what? When Taylor and I got there, we put on enthusiasm. We knew we had a job to be done and we just did it. And a couple hours into the cleaning, the director of maintenance for the building came up to me. He's like, I sure wish you needed a job. And I just smiled at him like, uh, yeah. I said, I, I would love to hire you on my housekeeping staff. Like, yeah, that, yeah. And then pretty soon he says, um, a little later, he's like, well, we cleaned that building before. And he remembered me and he's like, do you, are you ever not enthusiastic especially when you're working. And my answer, I smiled and I was like, never when a job needs to be done. And that was just like my natural response. And I thought about it later. I'm like, it's true. Do I love to clean? Not necessarily. But when Taylor and I got there, we just did it. You handle it. And we remembered we're serving the Lord. So you just naturally have enthusiasm in whatever you do. So some of you might say, hey, Adrienne, you're naturally enthusiastic. Yeah, I get it. But you know what? You can put it on. You can. Like a big puffy coat. Yeah, it might be a little awkward at first, you know, and you're like, oh, this is weird. It's unnatural. No, but God says that whatever you do, be enthusiastic, serving the Lord. So that means that just because it's not in your personality doesn't mean it's excuse. You've got to be enthusiastic. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. That could be in ministry, that could be in life, that could be in your work. Nothing great will ever be achieved without enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic, go with enthusiasm. And this brings us to our last point, and this is a short one. Number four, show your gratitude. Number four, show your gratitude. In Luke 
2.20, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds were grateful, you all. They glorified and they praised God from what they'd seen and heard. They were full of thanksgiving and gratitude, praise. They knew they were a part of something significant. And they gave praise where praise was due. Do you give praise where praise is due? Show your gratitude. It could be for God. God even wants to see you show gratitude to others, to your spouse, to your boss, to someone who opens the door for you at Walmart. Actually, they don't need to open the door at Walmart. Maybe the greeter at Walmart. You know, sometimes we go in the gas station, someone opens the door. Hey, thank you. Show gratitude. Whatever, whatever season of life you're in, maybe you're going through a hard time, there's still something to be thankful for each and every day. If you're not being thankful every day, you're doing it wrong. You are, because we do not, like we said, we don't have the excuse to not be thankful. In your notes, it says in Colossians 3:17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That word whatever, not sometimes, not some of the time, not part of the time, not none of the time, all the time. And whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is, we remain thankful. In Luke 7, Jesus healed 10 lepers. You remember that story? And he said, as they went to go tell, um, to tell the priests, they went and they were cleansed or healed, but only one came back and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he was so full of gratitude. May we be like that leper, the healed leper that's like, hey God, you have done all these things for me and I will never stop being thankful. He understood the secret of being thankful. In everything we do, we're grateful. This last little quote in your notes says, the Christian who walks with the Lord and keeps constant communion with him. Hmm. We'll see many reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving all day long. If you're in God's presence, if you're seeking him, if you're thanking, you, you are naturally going to be filled with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. It's that constant all day long, all day long. So this Christmas, give your king the gift of gratitude and let it continue all year long. So what are those gifts fit for the king we learned from these zealous shepherds? Is it, is it kind of something that little, kind of thinking outside the box a little bit? I never considered that the shepherds gave something to the king, but it was significant, wasn't it? What did they do? They're telling us, start where you are, use what you have, go with enthusiasm and show your gratitude because we all have something to offer. God's saying, give it to me. Come on, give it to me. That's what I want. I, you don't need to, to, to think you have to do whatever. Give me those things and you'll honor him and your life will be better for it. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in 
your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K, dot com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.